Grady, you know how in class, how you're always telling us that writers make choices? Yeah. And even though your book is really beautiful, I mean, amazingly beautiful, it's... It's at times, it's, uh... Very detailed. Uh... You know, with the genealogies of everyone's horses and, and the dental records and so on. And, and I could be wrong, but it just, it sort of reads in places like you didn't really make any choices at all. And, and I was just wondering if it might not be different if, if when you wrote you weren't always under the influence. <clears throat> Well, uh, thank you for the thought. But shocking as it may sound, I am not the first writer to sip a little wheat. Furthermore, it might surprise you to know that one book I wrote, as you say, under the influence, just happened to win a little something called the Pen Award, which, by the way, I accepted under the influence. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host, Mike, and we began the last month of 2023, and I think we are starting, uh, I don't think strong is the right word, but we are talking. <laughs> why, are you so, why are you so negative of late? <laughs> you hate the Quentin Tarantino selections. <laughs> you just seem uh, unhappy with the state of tit of late. No, 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 not at all. I'm watching a lot of new stuff. Uh, and I don't know how to react to it right away. Uh, but this one, I, I've, I've had a, a few days uh, to really let it sink in. And we're talking 2000s Wonder Boys. This is Curtis Hansen's follow-up to L.A. Confidential. So I already knew. I was like, how are you going to follow up a near... It's pretty much the same. Same, same. <laughs> okay. You know what's funny is Michael Douglas was kind of baffled as to why this movie didn't do good business. And it was... I'm not. <laughs> Look at the poster. Neither am I. Neither <laughs> am I. And you know what? He mentioned that the poster might have been the actual deciding factor. He thinks that he looks like a pedophile on the poster. It's one of the, <laughs> one of the worst one-sheets uh, I think I've ever seen, which um, I can't say I was that familiar with, even though I saw this one theatrically, Webb. Wow. I was one of the chosen few. But I more remember the DVD cover, which uh, highlighted the ensemble, which is actually probably the strong suit of the film. That it's not just a, uh, this is not just falling down the college years. Uh, you have Francis McDormand as the uh, lover. You have uh, pre-Peter Parker, Tobey Maguire as the troubled youth, uh, the uh, mentee to Michael Douglas's mentor. And then uh, Katie Holmes, uh, you know, pretty much straight out of Dawson's Creek. Um, as what the 
like honeypot of sorts, like a, yet another threat or something. I mean, it's it's another face on the ensemble, and that's also not even getting to Robert Downey Jr., who was very much in his late nineties, early two thousands. Uh, sort of comic uh, support role, and then Rip Torn uh, as well. So you got a lot of, uh, you know, a nice cast here. For some reason, they just thought we've got to really lean on Michael Douglas with glasses leering <laughs> at the people in movie theater lobbies. <laughs> One of the things that Michael Douglas mentioned in a Q&A that was, I think it was like the 20th anniversary or something of this movie that he did uh, with an audience, he mentioned that the film was released... Uh, around the time like Oscar season was happening. So he's like, oh, well, uh, he and the studio decided, well, maybe that's why it didn't do so well. So they re-released it mm. several months later and still crickets. So I'm not baffled. I think this is a an interesting movie. Uh, you have a lot of like the, that wanderlust quality to it. It doesn't really have a proper structure. The way like kind of Clerks is, you know, those movies where you, let's just see what's happening. You're following... <laughs> I'm sure Curtis Hansen was like, this is my clerk. <laughs> Finally, someone gets it. <laughs> Hoping to find an audience. Uh, so it's tricky. It's hard to describe it. A lot of things happen in the film that I think might rub people the wrong way. Killing of the dog. And it's kind of played for comedic effect, I guess. I don't know. It, it doesn't quite work. Every aspect of this film like kind of rubs me uncomfortably i don't know why it didn't have a, a cohesion by the end of it but i kind of enjoyed the journey i was always interested in what was happening next even though i didn't enjoy what was happening and i wonder if that's because is michael douglas the right guy for this because in a movie like this you need to have somebody who is just captivating right off the bat or at least you need to surround yourself with people who are constantly engaging i guess with the audience in some way so is it michael douglas is it the cast i'm not sure how to place this film you recommended it you wanted to kick things off with this yeah yes so i uh, give me your uh, overall vibe for this you saw it theatrically and it's been with you for a couple decades. I mean, I think I've probably seen it 12 to 15 times. Whoa! Uh, and I was not a huge fan of it theatrically. I remember watching it with my uh, parents. It was like, actually, this probably the reason I remember it is it was the first time I met my parents. And to keep in mind, I wasn't even in college yet. But I drove to meet them at the theater because I don't know if I had something else going on or they had something else going on. So it was like the first time I felt like... I was transitioning to like that adult period where you would have to meet your parents for something, even though at that point <laughs> I'm still sharing the same roof, but it just <laughs> stuck me as odd. Then I, I look back on this now very favorably because I just don't feel like we have many of these movies. Uh, we will have one in a similar fashion to close out this trilogy, which also does not feel of, of its time in the current state uh, of the theatrical uh, market. You know, as a teenager, I thought this was kind of an old person's movie. It was kind of corny at times. I I think I was less forgiving as a teenager of someone, even though he was probably what? Tobey Maguire was 24 at the time. Um, but he was supposed to be my peer <laughs> as far as the <laughs> angsty youth. And I just, I was like one of the students in the opening sequence that was like, Jesus Christ, get over it. Like you need to write something happy for once. Um, as an adult, I don't find him as obnoxious. And I actually, 
find the dynamic, the sort of mentor-mentee thing kind of warm, uh, especially when you get to the uh, later on the film where this young man – I mean he says like the only reason I'm in this university is because I wanted to learn from you. And it catches our lead character off guard. To answer your first question as far as Michael Douglas, I think he contributed to the failure of the film because – I don't think he's wrong for it because I kind of like that it's both of a type but also against type and that uh, Michael Douglas usually played someone very successful, uh, hyper-sexual, which you get kind of here and that he's sleeping with his boss's wife, but it's not played as like anything to look at as very appealing. In fact, it just seems very stressful and we don't get any sex scenes between them at the time we're introduced to this dynamic She's pregnant, and he's not really committed yet one way or the other. Um, I think that's what I like about it. Uh, also, he is like this titan of his industry, but only he himself internally knows that he may be a one-hit wonder, and he's been living with failure the entire time. Everyone else is regarding him as like, when are you going to hit us with the next thing? I know it's going to be great. And maybe that is what contributed to it not being very successful is no one really wanted to see sad sack Michael Douglas. <laughs> they wanted to see him in disclosure or basic instinct or fatal attraction. They want to see him in a sexual thriller uh, and one where you shoot a man's blind dog and try to cover it up uh, along with Marilyn Monroe's jacket being mixed in there. Uh, it's a little maybe too zany uh, and, it, and it's sort of comedy. Uh, but now I found it, find it like a comfort food. It has that sort of hang quality, you know, it's yes. taking place over the course yes. of like the the weekend. Um, and I enjoy much like, you know, I guess in my older years, the sort of ratty bathrobe <laughs> that Michael Douglas goes and finds himself in. Uh, I'm wondering if you will appreciate it more in later watches or is it my fault? Because as I said, I have that moment in time with my parents that always stuck with me. And this was during like, prime dvd days for me where it's like if i could buy like a relatively new release for cheap on dvd i would just watch things over and over and i think like when you're that age for whatever reason wonder boys was one that of that time i was watching it over and over and i don't really know what i didn't i wasn't even like over the moon about it but now i think as a older person i am i i'm i'm an old so i've come around to it i've aged into the demographic for some reason and i yeah i really dig with this one i revisit it uh, quite often even in a movie like The Sentinel, which is Michael Douglas and, and uh, Kiefer Sutherland, and he's, I think he's part of the Secret Service or something to protect the president. He's having an affair with the president's wife. Like, that is... Always. Always. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, I, a sex scene between him and Francis McNorman would not have done it for me. Uh, no offense to either of them. Mm-hmm. I, I... <laughs> I think, I, you know what? Let me see. <laughs> I don't know yet. I wouldn't have said no to it, but I don't think that's what would have saved the box office uh, for this one. Uh, it's it's tricky uh, because, yes, he is absolutely playing against type, and that's something that he really did want to do because he has is not known for his comedy. And, and uh, uh, Michael Douglas has stated that comedy is tougher than, than anything dramatic you can do. You'd really put yourself out there. And uh, good on him for, for taking the role. He does have a great ability to play resignation very well. Like, this is just the state of things. Especially in this film where, as I said, there's a lot of zany things happens. He rolls with it. He's not happy about any of the events. 
but he's just manages <laughs> to be like, well, this is my life now. And I guess I'm dealing with it. And I do find him quite funny here, uh, playing off of broader characters than, than himself. I, I wish he'd kind of given it, uh, another shot, but you know, like a rom-com you're right. Like, has he like, is romancing the stone? Is that it? As far as just straight, like, you know, romance and comedy, as opposed to thinking that you're about to get ice picked during sex, <laughs> which I mean, maybe is funny to some. Whether he is good or not, he, at, at the very least, you know that he's got the chops to pull off something like this, whether uh, uh, he does or not. One of the things, especially in comedy, is you need to be able to have a chemistry and kind of have a back and forth between whoever you're sharing the screen with. Does he have that here? You've got Downey and, and Maguire, uh, Francis McDormand. So, like, I, honestly, like Maguire is very tough to watch in this movie for me. Uh, his limitations as an actor, I think, are very apparent. And this one really hit home for me. Uh, he could not really play the goth, uh, not even goth, I don't know what it is, just the emo teenager. I, I, it didn't do it for me. <laughs> Let me ask you a side question. Is that character meant to be likable? Yeah. Well, well, no, here's the thing. I think he's, if not likable, sympathetic. Because the big moment at the end is him bowing, right? Him finally kind of having a little bit of happiness. And you're you're meant to revel in that a little bit. So despite the fact that he's so unhappy, uh, again, he's making up a lot of his own backstory. And so you don't know exactly what's true. That's not likable. I think he never really puts himself out there. But I think the character is ultimately supposed to be likable because you're supposed to be happy that he has obtained and achieved uh, some level of success um, for what he's being ridiculed for in the beginning. Everybody is uh, – all the other students, right? I, whether out of jealousy or just being you know, overly critical, uh, they, they put down his work and now he's being um, lauded for it by the end. So I think you ne he needs to be likable on some level. The film seems to be positing that um, great art needs to be separated from the artist because the the mystique of Grady Tripp, the Michael Douglas character, like we, the audience, I mean, there's nothing cool about his, the state of things. There's nothing to like, there's no secret sauce. Like, uh, I mean, one of the lines that really gets me is, uh, you know, like basically – why were you writing this book if you didn't you didn't know what the story is this follow-up and he's like I, I just couldn't stop that's it. like i just like he just could not find his way like it's like he was he wants to stay in that moment like it's killing him but he wants to stay in that mystique of like i i'm <laughs> rip torn has a line that very pompously opens this uh like you know this weekend this writer's weekend like i am a writer and we're meant to laugh at the sort of pompous nature of this <laughs> but he is, from what I gather, the character Rip Torn is derisively seen as like just sort of like all about craftsmanship in the sense that he can bang them out. Like, and Michael Douglas in voiceover says, like, you know, it's basically like clockwork. Like, every he's got another book, but there's no real mystique to him. He treats it as a profession, a job, and he enjoys it. He enjoys the perks of it. He enjoys uh, palling around with them. But Michael Douglas has the the aura of greatness. And none of the enjoyment, like it is, it is this cancerous thing, this burden of his that he wrote one great thing, and 
I don't know. I guess they're positioning the Tobey Maguire, the sort of, you know, wonderkin is that someone who is, he's just like, you know, stories just come out of him. Even when he's intoxicated and you think he's half asleep, he can just jump in and he's got a backstory for someone that he's not even really closely observed that well. Um, I wonder where, you know, <laughs> I'm not saying that this ever deserved a sequel and I can't imagine the financial backing, but do you think where the film ends up, do you think that's positioning the younger writer as someone that will find himself in a position very similar to Grady Tripp later on? If he doesn't have anything holding him to reality, if he doesn't have sort of interpersonal relationships, will he just be someone that is just alone in that room, just writing and writing and writing, like very directionless and no tangible connection to like another human? That he, he loses his humanity in his work. I like that idea. And again, the longer you go between projects, especially that first one, the more likely that you're going to be labeled as a one-hit wonder, right? The longer it takes for you to get that second one out. And I actually like the way that you have set up our three characters, Order of Torn, Michael Douglas, and Tobey Maguire's characters, because you kind of see them either as different kinds of writers or different stages of yes. the writer, right? Mm -hmm. So the the young buck with the piss and vinegar who's just constantly spewing ideas that are all brilliant, the one who's having trouble, and the one who is now like clockwork, the workman, who's pumping them out whether he likes them or not. At least there's new content for the fans. I like the idea that this is. <laughs> You're about to say, but I don't like the movie. No, 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 no <laughs> it's no, no, garbage. No, 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 no. <laughs> not about that. No, I like the idea that it could be three stages of the writer, but I don't think you can classify a creative endeavor like writing as something like. I think it really is the writer. You have Tobey Maguire's character who is the kind of writer who he just has brilliant ideas one after the other. We, we've seen this in real life. Um, you have Rip Torn. Like, I don't want to call him like a Stephen King, but that's how Stephen King writes, right? Like, at this point, he's like this. You mentioned it on A Trilogy in Theory, where he's like, I sit down as like a job and I got to pump out these many pages. Uh, I mean, there's no doubt that he's brilliant, but I really felt connected to Michael Douglas's character Grady in this way where it's like, hey, I did something really good once. I don't know if I can do it again. And whatever I do is always going to be lived up to this one thing. I, in my personal life, I don't know if I've ever achieved the kind of, uh, um, at least personal level of uh, um, pleasure you get out of like that one thing that you've been, I, I don't, I've never put out a bestseller or anything, but there are things in my life that I'm proud of. I don't know if I can ever live up to certain things that I've done. So I'm constantly in 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 that level of frustration with myself creatively. And also I will I'll say one thing as well. I do wonder if the movie in and of itself is kind of a metaphor for that second novel because it's as the way Katie Holmes described it, like you're not making choices. The movie kind of feels like that too, right? It seems like the characters are just going with it uh, throughout the film. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it because it takes on the uh, you know the perspective of the Michael Douglas character, 
where he just whatever just comes his way, uh, he'll deal with it. Or I mean, one probably the most direct decision he makes is when he calls his boss to say, "I'm I'm in love with your wife," and he does it in the middle of the night, like two or three in the morning. Um, I think he's accused of being intoxicated and he is under the influence of something. And even that decision, he has to have the help of some sort of stimulants to do so. Um, and I love when Francis McDormand comes the next morning. It's like, did you happen to call the house? And he's like, I think I did. And he's like, you know what you said? And he's like, I think I said I was in love with you. Like, it's that sort of the, the halfway in, but I was, I had to have that push. Uh, he had to lose his book at the end. Robert Downey Jr. has to be a total klutz, uh, even in trying to help him uh, to do so. You mentioned talking about have that one big thing. What do you make? You know, you started this conversation uh, by shouting out uh, that is the follow-up to L.A. Confidential. What do you make of Curtis Hansen choosing this material as his follow-up to what, you know, I mean, it's safe to say now, and he probably knew then that, hey, this L.A. Confidential is going to be the greatest movie that I'm ever involved with that has my name as the director by. Uh, is it a little too knowing? Do you think it's kind of brave that he tackled something that is about the follow-up for his follow-up to a Best Picture nominee and one of the greatest of all time? I don't know what Brave, but I don't know what else you can do. This is about as good as anything else. Because it welcomes those comparisons, right? Yeah. It says, hey, shine a yeah, light 100%. on it. I think that uh, you definitely see the director's uh, um, personal uh, struggles there. Uh, I mean, look at the Coen brothers, right? After No Country, they followed up with Burn After Readings. I think they were like, you know what? Let's just put... That's probably my favorite one because you follow up, you finally get your Oscar glory uh, accolades for a career of greatness. Um, and one of the big mystery boxes that J.J. Abrams could never top is that, spoiler alert for Burn After Reading, uh, George Clooney's character, uh, pretty much the entire movie, is working on a sex toy chair. That's what he's up to. <laughs> you have a damn dildo gag as you follow <laughs> That one, maybe not as high-minded as Wonder Boys, but, you know, I kind of dig that this was not uh, Oscar Bay. It released in February yeah. of that year. It released during Oscar season, but clearly it was not like prime for that. And it was only, I think after the reviews that they're like, shit, we should have released this in the fall. Like we just thought this was kind of a, uh, like a stoner comedy for like adults, uh, hang. And we, we missed the window, but I, I think it plays better rather than being positioned as, uh, you know, it's time. It's time we nominate for Michael Douglas. We got to get him back for Romancing the Stone. He is a comedic genius. <laughs> no, I mean, this is just, you know, there there can be moderately entertaining films aimed at adults. And that, that certainly has, uh, you know, faced extinction uh, since this film uh, released two decades ago. I was constantly also thinking about the supporting cast. I was like, do I wonder if a, a better supporting cast would have helped. Michael Douglas and the rest of the film. <laughs> Who are you picking on? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm just picking on Tobin. I was like, where's where's Wes Bentley, right? Like he had just finished American uh with American Beauty. Like he can slide right into this role. Yeah, he he likes to stand awkwardly and stare at people. That's his that's his gig. Uh he'd he'd get his later, uh when he'd be what the, the villain in Ghost Rider. <laughs> and and a, a semi villain in Hunger Games, like every now and then you'll pop up. And I, like I'm anytime he pops up in, in film, I'm happy that he's he's working. You know, I, I watched uh World War Z uh, last night and David Morris popped up on my screen and I was like, Say, I'm glad he he is working. I wish he had teeth in this movie, but I'm glad he's working. <laughs> like, it's another paycheck for him. 
Uh, Downey is fine. I, well, it is tough with Downey because he ultimately it plays different versions of himself. He's not like a Hoffman, right? Hoffman is like mm, a chameleon, right. just the same way like Gary Oldman. Like he completely transforms into this other individual. Downey's always kind of doing uh, his thing. Um, and, and the movie really is so nonchalant about everything. It almost works to Downey's personality, just as maybe as a human being and, and as an actor. Uh, you know, the, like the gay relationship that he's having with with Tobey Maguire's character, it it almost happens as like a passing thing. Like, oh yeah, by the way, this is happening in this movie. Never really calling attention to itself. It really is Wanderlust the movie. And not and not the Paul Rudd one. Like this is genuinely just Yeah. Yeah, I barely remember the Paul Rudd one. So I was glad you weren't going to go on a big scene by scene analysis because <laughs> I'm like, I know I watched that, but Lord. Yeah, I mean, do you find the uh the uh I mean it, it has that sort of college or post college sort of life where and maybe not now, but certainly in the late nineties early 2000s where it's like you know eventually people you know are gonna have sex you know they're they're working too well not only working too closely but they're in that point in life like they're just all passionate about what they're doing and certainly in a you know a writer's conference where you have all the english lit majors and like want to be creative writers i am glad that (laughs) michael douglas does not uh succumb to the uh, charms of Katie Holmes, oh, God. who yeah. <laughs> who wants to have sex with him until uh, until <laughs> she she reads his work, and I feel like <laughs> you know if we have any female fans out there, uh, they may have felt that way for a time until they listen to one too many podcasts of ours, and they're like, eh, <laughs> this just isn't the same <laughs> as the first month of Trilogy and Theory, or or it could be that one opinion that's that's a step too far, right? <laughs> He said, what about Pacific Heights? 